Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. I just want to share that with you. So, speaking as well about those who are in the auditorium, Gabe, I just want to follow up on what Gabe said. This message you're going to hear today is pretty hard, PG-13. And so, um, there's going to be some maybe some awkward moments. If you're sitting with a, a, your, one of your young kids, um, just know, I, you were warned, there's going to be some stuff that's said that you may not want them to hear or it may make you feel a little uncomfortable. But this is, uh, this is an adult audience, a young adult audience, um, and we've got to deal with this stuff. So here we go. Our series is called Disconnected, Navigating the Dangers of the Digital Age. Last week, I was in Chicago for a few days and I was on the plane back and whenever I fly, I always try to get the window seat because I'm like a little kid. You know, I love looking out the window. I always have and I always will. And so, you know, when you fly back from Chicago to Arizona, you know that the majority of the time that you're in the sky, you look down on the ground and you see farmland. It's flat, it's expansive, and it's predictable. And so, you, you know, you keep looking out the window and you pretty much almost see the same kind of stuff throughout much of our country. So I look out the window and I see flat farmland. I look out the window again, I see flat farmland. I look out the window again, I see flat farmland. And all of a sudden, I look out the window this time and I see this beautiful snow-capped mountain. I'm like, wow, we're over the Rocky Mountains. And technology, the progress of technology can kind of be seen that way. For the last several hundred years, technology has been relatively predictable. I mean, there's been some advancements. But relatively speaking, to compare to where we are now, it's kind of like pioneers going across the, the, uh, the, the country, and pretty much you can expect ahead what you saw behind you. There may be the occasional storm, there may be a little bit of gradual changes in terrain, but it's somewhat predictable and somewhat gradual. And all of a sudden, if you were a pioneer going across the other side of the country, you would arrive at the base of the Rocky Mountains. And all of a sudden, you're facing something that's vast, and beautiful and like nothing you've ever seen. And when you cross it, you've now got to have a completely different strategy than you've ever had in your life. Because the way you did things before, when you were crossing the prairie, the flatland, is not going to work now as you go into the snowy ridges and alpine slopes and everything else of the Rocky Mountains. It's going to be completely different. And that's the way that it is now. Technology has pretty much for the longest time been a flat plane. And about 20, 30 years ago, we all of a sudden hit this vast Rocky Mountain experience that we've never had before in human history. The, the, the digital age has allowed us to do things that we never have before would have dreamed that we could do. And so it carries with it all these implications and things that we've never had to think about. And so, for you... You have probably spent much of your life in the flat part, and now you're, you're, you're in the mountains. Some of our kids were born in the mountains. Some of our kids were born into this environment. And if you don't know how to deal with this, this new terrain, this new reality, you're going to end up like one of those pioneers fossilized inside of a snowy mountain. They're going to find your body someday because you didn't know how to get through this challenging time. But here's the one thing that you can be sure of. We aren't going back. We are never going back. Because even the prairie lands of the Midwest are to this day right now being farmed 
by tractors being steered by satellites in space. That's where we are, and we're not going back. And so we've got to be able to deal with the implications of this. And so today, we're going to start off with the first subject, and that is real sex in the digital age. Because we're just going to come out swinging, right? Might as well, right? We're going to talk about this. Let's just talk about sex. Get everybody right? Get everybody excited. Like, I'm showing up for church today. So here's the one thing I want to start off and tell you is this. That human sexuality has been the greatest casualty of the digital age. In other words, so far, no area of human existence has been more badly damaged and remains more severely threatened by the digital age than human sexuality. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with the Rocky Mountains. There's nothing wrong with this new terrain. It's vast, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's exciting, it's different, and we're supposed to cross it. But it carries with it dangers that we couldn't have anticipated, and none of them have wreaked more havoc than, uh, than any other area than on sexuality in terms of the digital age. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you several examples. Number one, in the digital age, pornography has become the predator. I grew up a red-blooded American young man, and when I was growing up as a young boy, if you wanted to see a naked woman, you had to put some effort into it. You had to actually go out and try to find a picture of a naked woman. You know, you had to go down to the, you know, the convenience store or whatever else, and you had to get like a popular mechanics magazine and open it up, and then you kind of slip over and try to grab the Playboy and open that up and put the Playboy inside the popular mechanics magazine and sneak your way into looking at a picture of a naked woman, right? You had to have some ingenuity. Or if your buddy's father subscribe to penthouse you had to figure out when that was coming in the mail check the mailbox and grab it out of the mailbox before he knew it arrived so you could sneak and check it out that way but whatever you did you had to have some kind of creativity some kind of initiative and some kind of effort and intentionality to go look at it not anymore in the digital age pornography finds you you don't have to be doing anything all you have to do is have an internet connection, and it will find you in your house, in your room, in your work, in your car, wherever you are. It will find you when you're not even looking for it. And it will find your children, and it does not care how young or old they are. It is coming after you, and it's coming after your children. And this is a known fact. This is the new terrain. This is the new reality. Number two, pornographic images last forever. It used to be that you could bury the evidence. You can't bury the evidence anymore. Let me show you this picture. This is a very telling picture. I had to, I tried to buff out the, or make it a little less risque. But it paints a very poignant point. In 2016, honey, I found a picture of your grandmother, right? Fast forward to 2090. Honey, I found a picture of your grandmother. This is absolutely the reality. Did you know that seventh grade girls, as girls as young as seventh grade, are being asked by their boy, their male peers to text naked pictures of themselves. Hey, send me a picture of your boobs. Send me a picture of, you know, whatever. Send me pictures. And these pictures last forever. You can't burn them. You can't destroy them. And what the guys do is when they get them, they use them, according to one article I read, as money, as currency. So they say, hey, guys, I'll let you see a picture of Jenny from math class if you, you know, buy me a Dutch Brothers. It's currency. And they're there forever. They never go away. But you know that one of the biggest threats to the professional porn industry is the amateur porn industry? You're aware that sites like YouPorn are, it's kind of like YouTube. It allows amateurs to upload their own pornographic videos. So it's feasible and plausible 
that there are children who are not yet being born who will be able to, in 2090 or 2070 or 2050, stumble across videos of their grandparents having sex. We aren't prepared to absorb this kind of thing. And this is not a very good lineage that the adults of today are leaving to their children of tomorrow. I'm certainly glad I never had an opportunity to see that. Thank God. But our kids who have yet to be born could very well stumble upon those things because they cannot ever go away. This is the new world you're finding. And finally, pornography erodes the desire for the real. In the digital age, sex is no longer about two people experiencing intimacy and pleasure with each other and for each other. Now it's just, quite frankly, about getting off. They did a study, in, uh, or not a study, but they actually had anecdotal evidence in a Time magazine, a cover story on pornography that ran recently, talking about now there are secular, non-Christian, just regular secular men, large movements of men now, who are trying to get over their pornography addiction because they're finding it is destroying them from the inside out. One of them said this, I just want to enjoy sex again and feel the desire for another person. The, 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 um, the chemical, I think it's dopamine, that gets dumped into your brain that pornography causes becomes an addictive source so much that it actually connects your brain to the images, to the computer, to the phone, to whatever the medium is, to the point of now these guys are saying, I can have an actual, real, beautiful, naked woman in my presence, and it does nothing for me. I'd rather take the image. They'd rather have the image rather than the real. And they're saying, we can't do this anymore. We, we just, we, we're not talking, we don't even want to honor God. We just want to have sex with a real person, and we don't know how to do that. Because pornography, the digital age, is eroding the desire for the real. That's on the men's side. On the women's side, what the women are reporting is that when they get with these men, they aren't interested in the woman themselves. The guy is interested in the woman himself. The guy is interested in the woman acting like a porn star. So more and more women are just seeing themselves as actresses who are pretending to be porn stars in the act of sex. There's no intimacy at all. One, one young lady reported, you know the guy likes you if you give him oral sex and then he wants to talk to you afterwards. This is, and I say young, I mean like 14. This is the stuff that you read when you get into this kind of stuff. One woman, a high school, young woman, young lady, high school senior, says, I'll be hooking up with some guy who's really hot, and things get heavier, and all of a sudden my mind shifts, and I'm not a real person. You hear that? It's like this is me performing. This is me acting. And I don't even know who it is that I'm playing, who that she actually is. It is some fantasy girl, I guess. Maybe the girl from porn. Well, whoever it is, guys. It's not her. He doesn't care about her. He cares about the image. He cares about the digital. He cares about the fantasy. But doesn't it make sense? I mean, we, we live in a digital age where it's like, you know, you sit there and, and your kids would rather watch a movie about kids going out and play in the backyard sometimes than actually going out and playing in the backyard. And it just translates over into the world of sex. And so it's created a platform that erodes our desire for the real, both what is physically and emotionally real. And that's too bad because God, God created sex. God wants us to experience sex. 
God wants us to experience the intimacy and connection and closeness and fulfillment and drive and desire and, and all of that pleasure, all of that that comes from it. And he invented it. And so today we're going to talk about it because we have to talk about it here at church. And some people will say, well, you shouldn't talk about these kinds of things in church. So where is anybody supposed to learn about it? The Huffington Post? Is that where you're supposed to learn about it? Why should we go to places that wreck sex to learn about sex? Why should we go to internet sites or, or find things outside of the church where people have no idea what they're doing? Because they have no acknowledgement of the one who made sex to learn more about how it should be used. If sex can't be talked about in the church, then it will be talked about somewhere else because people want to talk about it. Because they need to talk about it. Because it's the essence, or the main essence of who we are and what drives us. And so we talk about it here because God made it. And that the source of understanding and learning about sex should come from the church. And it should be something that we should be open to talking about. And so, what I have for you today is I want to offer you a biblical construct. A biblical construct with which to be able to navigate the dangers of the digital age as it relates to sex. But because the word digital construct is very boring, I decided to call it simply Pastor Tim's Sex Sandbox. I made a picture. Don't worry. Some of you are like, oh no. Pastor Tim drew a diagram. <laughs> Not quite. It's a sandbox, but it's a very simple sandbox. Now, in this sandbox, you see all these words in this word cloud that represent the things we think about when we think about sex and the things that we hope happen when we talk about sex. And these are all wonderful and beautiful and great things. This is all part of the sexual experience. But around the outside edges, you see the boundaries around the sandbox. These are the things that hold them all together. And if you lose any one of these four boundaries, if you compromise on them at all, the words begin to spill out and the sexual experience becomes diluted and empty and false. And so what I want to do today is talk about each one of these four points and dive into them more and hopefully be able to give us, again, this roadmap to be able to navigate the dangers of this digital age as it relates to sex. So first of all, at the top of the box is the phrase, we're married. So if we're going to do this right, and we're going to have all this wonderful fulfillment, it has to start off with this. We are married. Now in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, this is no surprise. The Bible says that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, man and wife, and then the two shall become one flesh. So there's a progression, there's an order, that sex can never, ever, ever, ever be separated from marriage between a man and a woman. Now, I will stress a man and a woman because I have to stress that these days. Candidly, and I don't mean to be rude or mean, I just mean to be clear. Even the act of sexual intercourse itself, by definition, involves the body part of a man, the sexual body part of a man, and the sexual body part of a woman. It cannot happen any other way. Obviously, there's like variations of that between men and women, but by definition, a man and a woman have sex when those two organs come together. That's by definition. Anything else is a simulation or a facsimile of it. So we, don't, we cannot really see those as what God intended for sex. So we are talking about sex between a man and sex between a man and a woman exclusively here. Now, what's important about this, I was talking with a friend of mine because I was at a chaplain conference in the Air Force, for the Air Force last week. And I was talking with one of my friends who was a pastor in San Diego, a brilliant guy. He's a reserve Air Force chaplain. And we were talking about this message. And he said, Tim, you know, what happens is 
when people choose to separate sex from marriage and they have sex outside of marriage, what's happening is the experiences are so powerful that they're rewiring their brains to believe the statement that goes like this. There are times when sex outside of marriage is enjoyable and okay. And that's the, your experience reinforces that. You begin to believe that. And so you have the statement in your brain that's part of your experience. There are times when sex outside of marriage is enjoyable and okay. Well, what happens is you get married. And when you get married, invariably, as what happens in life, you have opportunities to do things with people who aren't your spouse. And so when you go into those opportunities, what is your brain telling you to do? Your brain already has hardwired into it, both as, a, as an abstract concept backed up by experience that you believe in your heart that says this, there are times when sex outside of marriage is enjoyable and okay. And that is the driving value you bring in to a scenario like that now even when you're married. This explains, by the way, in the digital age, why it was such a catastrophic thing when the Ashley Madison leak happened. Because you had thousands and thousands of married men who subscribed to a website that said, life is short, have an affair. And they, in their minds, signed up on this website because they believed the statement that there are times when sex outside of marriage is enjoyable and okay. That had been rooted into their experience from long before they were even married. And this was a catastrophe. It resulted in at least the suicide of one man who was a Christian, worked at a Christian college, was outed by this and was so ashamed that he killed himself. And this is the kind of thing that happens when we separate sex from marriage. But when we do what the Bible tells us to do and no longer conform to the pattern of this world, we be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we know what is good and acceptable and perfect in the sight of God, then we say we can never, ever, 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 not even once, never, ever compromise the fact that sex only happens in marriage. Never, ever, ever happens any other way. And when you hold to that from the very beginning, so tight, and if you obviously we'll talk about other situations, but, but in terms of like experience and oops, I messed up and whatever else, but the sooner in your life you can grab onto that and you grab onto that with, with no holds barred, white knuckles, and never ever going to believe anything else but that, and I'm never going to compromise, you begin to create for yourself the opportunity to experience what God intended you to experience. Second, it's just the two of us. This means that sex is only between me and my spouse and never involves anyone else. It's just between two people. It never involves any other images or movies or people or whatever. It's just between you and your spouse in marriage. And when you do that, it's a beautiful, wonderful, and holy thing. Now, this includes couples not watching pornography together. Because there's some people that say, well, if it's just us, it's no big deal. We can watch porn together because we both, we both are, thinking of, are fine with it. There's only one problem. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 28, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It doesn't matter if your wife goes along with it. Because the fact of the matter is, you watch some good-looking um, porn star who, quite frankly, is in the porn business, probably because she probably looks naked a little bit better than your wife does, who's popped out of, you know, a bunch of kids and not 21 anymore and whatever else. So I'm going to look at her and fantasize about her while I'm doing it with her. 
And she doesn't really care because all she really wants is intimacy and connection. She'll probably go along with it as long as he gives her, you know, buys her some flowers and pays attention to her. No. No, no, no. We keep our eyes on our own spouse. I just tell my wife, it's not lust if it's you, baby. <laughs> I can stare at you all day long. Because it ain't lust if it's you. It's what's lust. Lust is desiring someone sexually who's not your spouse. It's not done about desiring someone sexually who is your spouse. Hey, that's why that's what the whole thing's about, right? Keep your eyes on your own paper. In fact, Proverbs, Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs chapter 5. You ready for this? Come on. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. Not some other lady. Hers. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Wayward means like a porn star. And this is important because there's a difference between the sacred and profane, and that makes all the difference in the world. Let me ask you, how many of you went to the bathroom yesterday? People are like putting up their hands. I did. Look, I don't have gift cards to give out, okay? It's more of a rhetorical question, but you stumbled into it. You went to the bathroom yesterday. If you did not go to the bathroom in any capacity yesterday, you may want to see a doctor. Was there anything wrong with the fact that you went to the bathroom yesterday? I hope not. No. Nothing wrong with going to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom. Now, let's say all of a sudden someone here today all of a sudden got up and went on the stage and dropped their drawers and started going to the bathroom right here on the stage. What would we do? Oh, we'd freak out. Like taking pictures, you know, like check this out. This church is crazy. Um, calling the police. This guy got to jail. Maybe bad news. But it's just going to the bathroom. What's the difference? There's no difference at all, right? Oh, except one thing. One is private and one is public. When it's private, it makes it sacred and holy and good and right and natural. When it's public, it makes it disgusting and profane and wrong and immoral. And so when you bleed your sexuality, out to other people so they can see it. When you involve other people in what you should do, it would be the equivalent to being in the stall somewhere and open the door and go, hey guys, why don't you come in? Watch, watch me do this. That's sick, right? It's the same thing. Conversely, what you do together by yourself in your bedroom within these four constraints is your business. Hey, I, 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 you'll hear me say several times today, you got all these four constraints in place in the sandbox, if you can dream it, you can do it. Have fun. Just don't tell me about it. I don't want to know. Because that's what makes it holy. And nobody seems to get this. You make it profane. You make it immoral. Not the act itself, but what you do with the act as it relates to other people. The sacredness of it is the privateness of it. Now, because of this, I have to address the elephant in the room. Because the, the married people are always like, yeah, I get this, I get this. But the single people are like, thanks a lot. You're telling me the only way I can have sex is i got to be married. And 
And it's got to be between, you know, just me and somebody else. The problem is I don't have anybody else. So what am I supposed to do? I have drives. I have stuff. I got issues going on. So that brings up the, the topic that we're going to talk about today for a moment. That brings up the topic of masturbation. Um, I admit, it's a touchy subject, okay? I'm just trying to lighten the mood here, okay? Now, here's the deal. When it comes to masturbation, the Bible has no clear prohibition against it. No clear prohibition at all. However, it has a ton of prohibition against lust. And earlier, we defined lust as sexually desiring someone who's not my spouse. And so in the case of a single person, that includes everybody on the planet. It just does. At the same time, human beings have desires and drives and things that are biologically there. You have to acknowledge those things. You have to be honest about those things. Do you have a 13-year-old boy running around going, look, you know, one day girls were gross. The next day, all I want to do is jump all over them. I didn't ask for that. I just woke up one day and went, whoa. He didn't ask for it. He didn't pick it off of the shelf at a grocery store. It just happened to him. So what's he supposed to do? And so my judgment is, on this issue, because I think clarity helps a lot of people. My judgment on this issue is this. There, like I said, there's no prohibition against it. At the same time, we have to be fighting lust all the time. So my, my, my judgment is this. It is better to take care of your issues on your own and privately than to sin sexually with another person or to get involved in pornography and look at images because those images will feed back and cause your desires to grow more and more. It's better to manage those desires as best you can and manage those things on your own. There is no clear prohibition against it. However, I would say that there's a continual battle against lust all the time that we should be fighting. And it's very important because the habits and patterns that you do develop now as a single person, you will carry with you into your marriage. And so if the habits and patterns you have is the minute I get a sexual feeling, I go off and do that little thing by myself, then I'm going to bring that into my marriage. The problem with that is that your body belongs to your spouse. You're supposed to do those things only with that other person. And so when she's unavailable or he's on a business trip or he's gone or he's not emotionally connected or whatever, and you're off doing the things that you developed to do when you were single all the time because that's what you did without saying, I need to do everything I can to fight lust in my heart, then you're setting yourself up for some bad habits. But the guilt that's associated in the Christian world with this subject, I think, has been way overblown, in my opinion. And it's caused a lot of people just kind of to hide shame in the shadows and the darkness and not ever want to talk about it. As opposed to saying, can we just have a real conversation? Life is tough. We, we ask our teenagers to, 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 to not have sex with people outside of marriage. I get that. There are drives and desires that sometimes overtake us. So that's, how, that's my judgment on it. That's what I have to say about it. And hopefully it's helpful to some of you. Third, it's not destructive to our bodies or our souls. That's the third part. And hopefully you can see it on the bottom of the screen there. That's on the bottom of the sandbox. What we do together is not destructive to our bodies or souls. The Bible says in Romans 1 that as people walk away from God, one of the things that happens as part of the progression of destruction is they begin to degrade their bodies with one another. Now, that isn't specific about what that means, but we have to be fighting against degradation. Now, the way I would describe this um, and illustrate this the most accurately is I, this has to do with all the BDSM kind of stuff, all 50 shades gray kind of thing. 
Now, I didn't see the movie, and I don't really know a whole lot about it, but let me just say this. I think that you can have all of the words there in Pastor Tim's little sex sandbox without hooking each other up to electric shock machines. Is that fair enough? I mean, I don't think God intended sexual fulfillment to be found in dressing up like Bane from Batman. Okay? You don't need to do that kind of stuff. And I think it can be very, very destructive. Sex is about giving to the other person. It's about tenderness and love and passion. I just really think that that can be a concern. So, there you go. You can tweet that if you want to. Finally, so we have all these three. Finally, we're both good with it. Meaning, this isn't something that one person pressures the other person to do um, in, in a way that's, that's really taken advantage of them. In, in, I'm talking about in a marriage sense. So here's something interesting. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is talking about Christians who have freedom in Christ to eat all kinds of food. Because there's some Jews and there's some Gentiles coming into the church. And the Jews were kosher and the Gentiles weren't. So the Jews see the Gentile eating bacon and go, hey, you can't do that. And the Gentile's like, I've been eating bacon all my life. Jesus didn't die for me so I would have to stop eating bacon. So you're getting all these fights. And Paul's going around going, no, 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 no. You guys need to learn how to live with each other and respect each other's freedom and not violate the conscience of each other at the same time. Not lord your freedom around and go, well, just because I eat bacon, I don't feel bad about it, you should be eating bacon too. You need to respect the conscience of the other. And so this is what he says in Romans chapter 14, verse 20. He says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. And I think you take that same principle and apply it to sex as well. Let's not cause each other to violate, let's not violate each other's conscience by saying, well, you know, we're free to do this, let's just do this. If the other person doesn't feel quite right about it at that moment, then you need to respect that. But you should also talk about it. And that being said, I'm, I, think, I think married couples have the freedom, because again, it's private, to experiment with each other and to have fun and to do all that kind of stuff. But it takes time. You know, I've been married for almost 18 years. And without getting too much into my own personal life, you're like, don't talk about yourself. Um, but I'll tell you, just my wife, my wife's like, please, God, no. Um, well, all I'll say is that, that you know, I mean, I, my wife and I, over the last 18 years, you know, we first got married, first, like, a couple months together, we were kind of shy. I mean, you know, like, kind of knew what to do, but we were kind of shy. You know, we learned how to communicate and everything else. But after 18 years, it's kind of cool because it's like, hey, you know, um, what about this? What about that? And within those four uh, barriers, it's between you guys, it's private. Have, like I said, if you can dream it, you can do it. Why not? But that's part of what God created us to be able to do. And so here's the point. When it comes to navigating the digital age, this is your roadmap. This is the thing that you've got to think about. This has got to be the way that you filter this stuff out. You've got to be able to deal with it. So here's what I, so you say, well, Tim, Pastor Tim, how do I apply this message? Well, let me tell you. If you're married, this is what my application to you. Have real sex with a real person who's really your spouse. Okay? You heard me. If you're married, go have sex. Bye. Seriously. If, you, if you're not able to do that um, because there's like one person's emotionally closed off or they're busy... You got a problem. And, you, and I'm not saying judging you, so you got to, it's, married couples are supposed to have sex with each other. Hello? 
you're supposed to. If you're not, that's like a little ding, ding, ding on the dashboard. There's something not quite right. So go and take jump in the sandbox. That's your that's your homework. Go. Not now, at the end of the service. Just go and do whatever. You know, put the kids bed early and have fun. I don't know, whatever. Now, if you're single, because again, the single people are like, thanks a lot. And I really do. My heart goes out to you. I've had single people come to me and thank you for this message last service, by the way. Single people, I tell you this. Prepare yourself. Your job is to prepare yourself for the real and fulfilling later by resisting the fake and empty now. Prepare yourself for the real and fulfilling later by resisting the fake and the empty now. That means fighting against lust and disciplining yourself and dealing with your desires as best as you can, but not walking all the time around in guilt and shame either. Now, I'll tell you something. We have four couples in our high school ministry that are getting married between now and the end of the year. And I love that because they're not very old. They're young, they're, they're young 20s. Some of them like 19. We have, it's amazing what our, the culture of our student ministry over the last seven years has produced. There are, there are couples, there are young men and women who are finding each other and getting married very young in our high school ministry. Now, the culture would go, oh, that's terrible to get married. Just strap yourself to one person so young. But our high school pastor, Mike Zerotti, and his wife, Ginger, have been doing an amazing job going around and, and, sh and shepherding them as they, they, as they want to get married and discipling them and counseling them and walking and helping them build a good foundation, giving them a community. But these couples are doing something that I think is very smart. They're saying, look, we want to have sex, but we don't want to sin. So what's wrong with getting married at 20? What's wrong with it? The cult, I don't understand this. Why do you think, if you're 28 and you've been living with someone for six years, why do you think you know more about marriage and sex than a guy who's 21 and trying to save himself from marriage? Why do you know more? You've just spent six years figuring out how to not be married. Just because you have more life experience, you know what they're saying? The older that you get, the harder it is to get married because you're building habits and patterns as a single person that are harder to change. So what's wrong? So, I mean, honestly, in fact, I would say the wonderful thing about this is when you agree to the sandbox and you're somebody who's a single person who says, I want to prepare myself to have the real fulfilling. For the guys, maybe you go, you know, go out and get a haircut and a real job, and you might attract a woman who may want to marry you. You can touch this. But you know what's happening? A lot of guys are saying, I'll just stick with, stick with porn. So they stay in their mom's face, but they don't get a haircut. They don't get a job because they already have it. I'm saying the sex is not a bad motivator. To clean your life up a little bit, get motivated to do something so you can find an attractive woman that you can actually have real sex with. Isn't that how God made us? Come on, guys, you know how it is. If there weren't women around, we wouldn't even shower. Some of us need help with this issue back, and maybe a lot of us do. So I want to tell you right now if you're dealing with pornography, you are not going to get judged here. But you need help. Talk to somebody. There's a couple things you can do. First of all, talk to your connection group leader. Pull them aside. Say, hey, you need to give me some help. I got to tell somebody. You know, if you talk, first of all, talk to your spouse. And then, you know, Gabe's going to cover some of that stuff next week. We're going to talk about marriage and uh, in the digital age. But, but it's important that you not keep this silent because it's destroying you. And you're not going to get judgment here. You can even send me an email if you want. Send me an email. I don't care. And I will, I will. Try to route that the best way possible and try to get our staff, not, not tell everybody, we keep it very private and discreet, but try to have, get you some help. 
Another way that is very discreet is going to a resource called triplexchurch.com. Triplexchurch.com has a lot of resources for people who are caught in pornography, has filters and all that kind of stuff. We, we have our high schoolers. They, our high schoolers know about this website. You need to get on there. It's very important. Another resource would be getting uh, on the, uh, uh, or getting Every Man and Every Woman's Battle, a series of books and reading those. But you've got to talk to someone. You can't keep doing this alone. You can't keep wrecking and pulling apart the fabric of your soul when you do that. It's too important. Finally, let me tell you this. If you're struggling with this, there's forgiveness, there's hope. You know, we have a great God who forgives us, and that's why we believe in the cross. And we, we, we love forgiveness. We believe the cross is wonderful. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says this, if we confess our sins, in other words, if we come clean, if we're just honest, if we're truthful, God, I'm so sick of doing this. I'm so sick of it. I am wrong. I am evil. This is wrong. If we confess that God, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, that's right. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're not going to get judged by him. There's not a single one of us in here that hasn't sinned sexually in some way or another. Not a single one of us. And if you think you haven't, can I just be honest with you? There's the door. You don't belong here. You're perfect sexually. You don't belong here. You'd be very disappointed. There's plenty of other churches like that in town, but they got a lot of people. Not these ones. We build each other up. We strive for holiness, for the glory of God, and the grace found in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of sex. Thank you for making it so awesome. That it's designed to be something beautiful. But it's also caused a lot of pain. Sin and Satan and all kinds of stuff is record. I pray, Lord, right now, there's people in here that need to be delivered. I pray that they would reach out. They would receive the gift of your grace. They would confess their sin. And they'd be cleansed. They would talk to somebody. And they'd say, God, I need your help. Grab someone else and say, help me. I'm ashamed, but I need help. God, do a great work in our church in this area. May we be people who walk in holiness, offer forgiveness and restoration and healing, and love the gifts that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.